we're looking at the, uh, this is the story of John the Baptist coming on the scene, we read in verse 13, uh, but the angel said to him, Fear not, Zechariah, for thy prayer is heard, and uh, thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John, and thou shalt have uh, uh, joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth, for he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink, and uh, he shall be filled with the Holy Ghost even from his mother's womb. Uh, by the way, interesting point there, someone asked on Friday night, other more scriptures in the New Testament about not drinking. Well, the, the highest prophet of all, one of the only things that was described about him was, well, he won't drink wine or strong drink. Surely the implication is that's holiness versus unholiness. He should drink neither wine nor strong drink, and he should be filled with the Holy Ghost from his mother's womb. And many of the children of Israel shall turn, shall he turn to the Lord their God, and he should go before, sorry, and he should go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedience to the wisdom of the just, and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And uh, so we're talking about the prediction of John the Baptist coming on the scene and his role. We know he was to prepare the way of the Lord. He was to make the uh, uh, the low lifted up and to make the high low and so on. He was going to preach repentance. He was going to preach preach uh, baptism for remission of sin and so on. But in particular we're told here, he's, part of his job is, uh, his job description here, talking about getting a new job, part of his job description here is to uh, make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And uh, I want to talk this morning about ready, being ready, readiness, and uh, the way that it is important to grasp this principle. Uh, and the, the first thing that uh, John the Baptist, of course, is called to do is to, uh, to sort out. He's confronted with a, a nation of people who are in sin, who are far from God, who have lapsed perhaps into, uh, in some cases, apostasy and so on. And uh, John's job is to call them to change. They need to be prepared for the Lord. And uh, you and I, of course, we go to do the same thing, don't we? We go out to preach the gospel, we may have to get out uh, on the streets or door knocking or amongst our work colleagues and friends and so on. We're trying to prepare people for the Lord. The Lord is coming back and all the people's there. And you've only got to watch the news. Uh, I made this afternoon a prophecy slideshow. Who's been watching what happened this week? I mean, you would have to be, you'd have to have arrived from Mars this morning to not realise the world is, you know, it's on a knife edge yet again. I realise this happens from time to time. Yet again, it's on a knife edge. And, uh, um, I mean, I don't know. Did you see, who saw the Americans that killed the 200 Russian soldiers this week? Who saw that announced? Do you know what's happening? Uh, it's just astonishing. The Russians preparing for nuclear war. Put your hand up if you know what I'm talking about. It's just astonishing. Uh, Wednesday on TV, they had the announcement in Russia that everyone's to prepare for nuclear war. And the foods that you need to take down into the bunkers are the following. And they gave them a long list of food that everybody has to have ready waiting to go down to the bunkers with. I mean, you can say, oh, surely it's propaganda. Look, goodness me, it may well be propaganda. They're pretty good at that sort of stuff. But you think to yourself, the world's on a knife edge. It's crazy out there. We live in this little bit of a... Um, uh, a bubble, I think, here in Australia. We live in a kind of a, a society that's not really impacted by that. But since the uh, World War One, 
the whole world has slowly shifted to a completely new uh, paradigm. And the powers that be out there are, have been ready and readying themselves since that time. And uh, we're watching it unfold before our eyes. I just think that's really amazing. So the Lord says here, you need to make the people ready. And now, ready, of course, uh, if you were perhaps the president of Russia, ready means having a go bag next to your front door. Don't take, I uh, thought this is kind of cute, don't take tins of fish because they only last for two years in the bunker. Take tins of salted meat because they last seven years. Please don't take sweets with you. You know, nothing worse than enjoying your last few moments on earth with a Snickers bar or something, is it? Um, apparently that's inappropriate. Um, and so on and so on. So he's trying to get everybody ready. Uh, in America, of course, uh, President Trump has decided they're going to revitalize the nuclear program. They're going to revitalize quite a number of military programs. He's trying to get ready. In Australia, of course, it's footy season. Go out and buy yourself a new Dockers jumper. Get ready. Hang on, that's not very deep or meaningful, is it? Uh, but, but that's what it is. In Australia, it's footy season again. And of course, uh, the Lord is saying, Jesus is, back in this, these days in the Bible, Jesus was about to come on the scene. People didn't realise how close it was. People sort of thought, this guy John the Baptist, he's a bit of a nut job, and he's telling everybody to get ready, but the Messiah might be decades away. Who remembers how much older John the Baptist was than Jesus? Six months. Six months. He wasn't predicting a time you know, a hundred years in the future or fifty years in the future or ten years in the future. He was predicting a time that was coming in six months when Jesus came on the scene. And of course, Jesus arrives on the scene. We know the story and John the Baptist has done a great job. No question about that. To the point where he gave his life in service doing his job. But he had prepared people for the Lord coming. Why? Because they're sinners. They're unsaved. They're unworthy. They're not going to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a bit like uh, saying, oh yes, I think I've got an insurance policy for my car somewhere. And you pull it out, look it up, and it's six years old. You know, it's like saying, oh, well, I used to go to Sunday school when I was a kid. I'm ready for the Lord. It doesn't work like that. You know, your, your, uh, your readiness with God needs to be with you every single day, every single moment. And uh, John is pointing out here, of course, uh, uh, that they weren't ready. Back to the book of Isaiah, chapter 64. A little verse that I do quite regularly. Isaiah 64. I'll quote it without taking you there, but I've got to read it in full today. Isaiah chapter 64, and verse uh, 6. We're all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Now there is none that calls upon thy name, that stirs up himself to take a hold of thee. Uh, for thou hast hid thy face from us, and hast uh, consumed us because of our iniquities. And the prophet Isaiah here is pointing out, he says, all our righteousness is like filthy rats. All our goodness, all, our, all the things that we, 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 we place our hope in, are just useless in the sight of God. Uh, we, we think perhaps because we contribute 39 bucks a month to some poor child over in Africa somewhere, that that's good enough. And the Bible says it's like filthy rags in God's eyes. 
We think perhaps because we get involved in some other uh, you know, charitable work around town somewhere, that's good enough. And the Lord says, no, it's like filthy rags in my eyes. It's inadequate, completely inadequate. He goes on to say, uh, we all as unclean thing and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. Uh, there's a sense of complete failure, a sense of complete unreadiness portrayed uh, in this verse here. The Lord is trying to get across to us, until you understand that you are completely inadequate, you won't take the necessary steps to change that. So he's reminding us here, uh, as he does over in places like Romans 3 and elsewhere, for we have all sinned uh, and fallen short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Um, is that a happy state? Well, not particularly. Back in chapter 30, you see the first hints back in the prophet here of God's plan. Verse 1, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, and that they may go down into Egypt, and have not asked of my mouth, and strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, trust in the shadow of Egypt. And uh, the, although this is written certainly to the Israelites uh, uh, 2,800 years ago, uh, as Peter the Apostle points out, he says they're actually ministering to us in that sense. They're, that's their target here. And to us it does make a lot more sense, doesn't it? Rather than an Israelite 2,500 years ago. Uh, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, that take counsel but not of me. Uh, in the year 2018, how many people uh, they'd rather, you know, develop their own ideas and their own theories and, the, you know, what uh, means by which they think they're going to get close to God and so on. And the Lord says, but you don't ask me. I've already told you. Here's what you need to do. It's in here. It's not very hard. Uh, sometimes it'll be different to what you think. Sometimes it'll be quite in um, um, uh, the opposite direction of what you think. But there's my will, you know, and uh, as we've often said, of course, uh, um, when Jesus was uh, about to face the crucifixion, he prayed, uh, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me, for all things are possible. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but thy will be done. And he went on to crucifixion. Uh, everybody is happy to do the will of the Lord when it's the same as what they want to do. That's human nature. But as soon as God's will is different, then we have a choice. Are we going to follow our will or God's will? When God says, repent and be baptized, and perhaps we uh, hang back a little and we think to ourselves, well, I don't want to be baptized. I don't want to go to the front and get wet. I don't want to be embarrassed in front of all these people. We've got to make a choice. God's will or our will. And right through your walk in the Lord, you'll be making that choice. Sometimes it's a surprise what God's will is. Um, think about the, uh, uh, the headaches we have at the moment. And uh, the Bible says very clearly that uh, they should deliver you up, you should be taken before councils and magistrates. Some of you they shall kill, uh, and there's lots of other passages like that. Uh, friends should betray friend, uh, son should betray father, uh, daughter should betray mother to death, and so on and so on. And, uh, you know, we as human beings, we, we think, I don't want to go in that direction, I want to go in a different direction. Funnily enough, that, is part of God's will. All things. You don't want it, but that's part of God's will. My, my personal preference is quite different to that. But that's actually part of God's will. 
some of they should, some of you they shall cast into prison. He that is faithful unto death uh, shall receive the crown of life, and so on and so on. Um, it is a healthy reminder, as always, that uh, we uh, uh, enjoy a, a very blessed life in a country like Australia. No question about that. Uh, but right through history, there will have been different levels of persecution as we read in the scriptures. That's God's will. In uh, chapter 30, verse 1 here, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, that take counsel, but not of me, and that cover with a covering, but not of my spirit, that they may add sin to sin. Uh, people who don't realise you must be born of the Spirit. You must have God's Holy Spirit. Otherwise, your sin will just keep on adding up. And, uh, you know, instead of listening to God's advice in the Scripture, we, we, we charge off in a different direction. And uh, the Lord says, why don't you listen to what I said? The walk to go down to Egypt and have not asked at my mouth. Uh, in Egypt in the Bible is a, uh, uh, a metaphor for our old life, or our old way of thinking. And uh, it's to go back and trust in the flesh. It's to go back to the arm of the flesh. He says, don't go back to that. You uh, need to trust in the Lord. To strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh and to trust in the, in the shadow of Egypt and so on. Back to chapter 30, another one. Perhaps giving us a little more. Uh, sorry, chapter 6, I think. Uh, chapter 6. A great illustration that gives us wonderful hope in chapter 6, where we see the, the prophet uh, finally achieves his readiness. Chapter 6 here, we read uh, one of my favourite passages in the Bible, actually. Uh, chapter 6, starting verse 1. Uh, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And above it stood the seraphim, and uh, each one had the wings, and with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And uh, one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And uh, he's describing a time when the earth will be filled with God's glory, which is uh, coming soon, when Jesus comes back. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was uh, filled with smoke. And then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Another translation says, It's all over. I'm doomed. For I am a sinful man. And uh, it's true. Human nature suddenly gets a grip on us, and we realize we fail. And then flew one of the seraphim unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth, and he said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. And uh, uh, it's just such a great reminder here, of course, that uh, the way in which the Lord purges us is when he touches our lips. You know, you receive the Holy Ghost, you speak in tongues. Now, I realize there's no reference there to speaking in tongues. But in the New Testament context, you receive the Holy Ghost, you speak in tongues, your lips are purged, your sin is gone. All of a sudden you've been made ready. And all the people said, you're different, you're changed, you're not like you were before. You can be religious, you know, until the cows come home, but that will not save you. It will not make you good enough. You can attend Bible classes and Bible studies, join perhaps a Bible, you know, theological college or something or other, but that won't make you clean. 
Only God makes you clean when he takes something off his altar which purges your lips. He gives you the Holy Spirit, as we read in chapter 30 a moment ago. Uh, They don't want the Spirit, though, sadly. They don't want to be readied God's way. They want to do it their own way. And uh, sadly, of course, they're going to miss out if they continue in that vein. Uh, Verse 7, And he uh, laid it upon my mouth, and he said, Lo, this has touched your lips, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Over to John chapter 13, if you will, just for a moment. We could read plenty of passages in the New Testament about the uh, uh, purging of the Holy Spirit, the arrival of the Holy Spirit, the way in which uh, our sins are taken away when the Holy Spirit comes on us, and so on. John chapter 13, down in verse uh, 19. Now many of you will remember, of course, chapter 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 of John here are all the long discussion that took place during the Last Supper the day before the crucifixion. And it's all very, very important stuff. And John has decided to write it down for us almost uh, the minutia of what was said that particular evening. And in John chapter 13, it starts off uh, with this kind of topic, verse 19. And now I tell you before it come, that when it is come, past, you may uh, believe that I am he. I haven't actually told you what he said is going to happen yet, but uh, Jesus actually, on a several occasions, announces to them, he says, I'm going to tell you stuff now, so that when it actually happens, you'll look back, you'll remember I told you in advance, and you'll recognise that I am truly the Son of God. And uh, in a funny way, I, I sort of think of it as kind of another angle of being ready. It's, you know, the old idea of being forewarned is forearmed. And there's so much stuff that Jesus Paul warned us about. Over the page, for example, chapter 14, I think most of us recall this story here. Same discussion, verse 16. And I'll pray the Father, and he will give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. And the story of the Spirit and receiving the Spirit is central to the discussion uh, in this uh, this uh, night before the crucifixion. And as I say, you can read chapter 14, 15, 16, there's lots and lots of stuff there about the Holy Spirit. Uh, and he says, that's what's going to happen. I'm going to send you the Spirit. When the Spirit comes, he talks about how, how the Spirit will show you all things, lead you into all truth. He will guide you, he will teach you. Uh, over the page again, if you will, sorry, just down a little further, in verse uh, uh, 29, Chapter 14, verse 29. And now I've told you before it come to pass, that when it come to pass, you might believe. So again, he's saying, look, all this stuff I'm telling you now, uh, and particularly I'm referring to the Holy Spirit experience, he says, I'm telling you in advance, so that when it happens, you'll recognise what's going on. It almost seems impossible to me sometimes, when I talk to religious people, as we all do, from time to time, and they have no concept of the Holy Spirit experience. No idea of it. They don't mind using the term the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is, tends to be something they simply tack onto the end of their prayer in the name of the Father, the Son, and. But when we go back to talk about an experience where the Lord's going to manifest himself, where the Lord described in the, 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 the night before the, the crucifixion here, this experience will bring you great comfort, 
this experience that will change your life, will make you new, make you born again. It will teach you all things, show you all things, lead you into all truth. He will bring you peace and so on and so on. There just seems to be no recognition of it. Uh, and yet uh, Jesus is making it very clear, and not only making it clear, he's actually saying to them, effectively here, by saying it in advance, he's saying to them, when you get the Holy Spirit, I want you to look back and reflect on the fact that I gave you that warning. And if you've got the Holy Spirit, it means you did make yourself ready. As opposed to the vast majority of people who refuse the Holy Spirit so that they may add sin to sin. They reject the covering of the Spirit. Over again in Matthew chapter 24, a month or two ago, I uh, used this as the basis of a bit of a talk. Uh, but again, I just want to point it out to you. Verse uh, 25, verse 24. For there shall be false Christs and false prophets, uh, and they shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Um, elsewhere, it, 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 it uh, implies that these people are actually spirit-filled. Go back to Matthew 7, don't look, look at it now. But it implies that they're spirit-filled. That's how they can do signs and wonders. They are spirit-filled. And he says that they are false prophets. They are leading people in the wrong direction. Verse 25. Behold, I have told you before. Wherefore, if they should say to you, Behold, he's in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he's in the secret chamber, believe it not. And so on and so on. Uh, and Jesus reminds them here again. He says, I've given you so much information before it actually happened, so that you'll be ready when it does. Uh, who used to be in the scouts years ago? I used to be as a young fella. I don't think I lasted very long. Who remembers the Scouts' motto? Be prepared. Be prepared. It's a good motto, actually, when you think about it. Be prepared. If you can see certain eventualities coming up, be prepared. So when you read all this stuff that Jesus tells us here, it's so that you can be prepared. It's so that you'll know what's coming up next. Over in the book of Peter, just for a moment. 1 Peter, chapter 4. You've probably heard me say this a hundred times, but um, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. Uh, and uh, uh, how often, of course, people go through trials of different types and so on, and you say, but, 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 but you've been warned. You're going to go through trials. You're going to go through situations that you hadn't expected. And, and, and people like Peter and Jesus himself, of course, have pre-warned us. They've forearmed us. And uh, now Peter says, guys, how come you're reacting as if it's new? Beloved, uh, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Why do you think it's strange? Why, why are you reacting as if it's something which you hadn't expected? You've been forewarned. You should be forearmed. Hopefully you've braced yourself against what's to come. And uh, having braced yourself, you're, learnt, you're trusting in the Lord, you're putting on the mind of Christ, you're arming yourself with the armour of the Spirit, you wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual wickedness in high places. So he says, why are you surprised? Think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. The devil goes out, the Bible says, like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. It never says, repent, get baptised, get filled with the Spirit, and have a bed of roses until Jesus comes back. It doesn't say that. I've been looking for bed of roses in my concordance for years, and I cannot find it anywhere. 
or, and yea, verily, it shall all be beer and skittles. It doesn't say that either. What it does say is, you know, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. Sometimes those trials come in terms of perhaps our, well, our, as I mentioned, our work situation can be a massive trial to us. Our health problems can be a massive trial to us. Our difficulties with our, our relatives and what have you. Uh, you know, a mother against daughter and father against son and a cousin against cousin, all that sort of stuff. That can all be a great trial to us. Perhaps, uh, you know, uh, uh, all those sorts of things added together compose a bit of a trial for you. But the Bible says, whatever you do though, don't think it's strange. Don't sort of look at it as if to say, well, this is, this is weird. I wonder why all this is happening. That would be ridiculous. Don't think it's strange. Verse uh, 12. But rejoice. Stop right there. But rejoice. Our job is to rejoice. Our job is to give thanks for all things. Um, you know, there's, no, <laughs> there's nothing quite like you had a massive drama in your life, perhaps a, uh, you know, perhaps you've had a death in the family or something or other, and you can get up in the morning and you can say, thank you Lord for that death. Thank you Lord that I've lost my job. Thank you Lord for my health problems at the moment. Thank you, Lord, for whatever the situation may be. Uh, giving thanks for all things in the name of the Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. And here we read it, putting it another way around. He says, but rejoice, uh, inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. He says, what's happening when you go through these situations? It's toughening you up. It's strengthening you up. It's making you stronger. You're learning to put God in front of yourself. You're putting God in front of your mother or your boss or your next door neighbour. You're putting God in front of other people throughout your life. And as such the Bible teaches us here, you're getting yourself ready to meet the Lord in the air. God's got to know you're reliable. He's got to know that he can trust you when the chips are down. He's got to know that at the end of this life, the one person you'll stand by is him and not some person on planet earth and he's saying here uh, rejoice in as much as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings that when his glory shall be revealed you may be glad also with exceeding joy uh, he says here as you persevere as you hunker down and buckle up you're going to be blessed in the end over to another passage if you will uh, Matthew 25 Matthew 25 verse 1 uh, then shall the kingdom of heaven be likened unto ten virgins, which took their lamps and went forth to meet the bridegroom. And five of them were wise, and five were foolish. And they that were foolish uh, took their uh, lamps uh, and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels, or in the, in the bottles, with their lamps. And while the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom cometh, go you out to meet him. And then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us of your oil, for our lamps are gone out, or going out. But the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and for you. But go ye rather to them that sell, and buy for yourselves. Now the story, of course, here is of uh, ten virgins, ten Christians, and uh, the bridegroom is Jesus Christ. The midnight hour, the hour that Jesus comes back, and the idea of the, the lamps burning is the fact that they're prepared. 
they are serving the Lord. Lamps in the Bible use this, you can find you, you've got light, you, you, you're illuminated, you know where you're going, uh, and you, you know the path you're supposed to be on. That was the idea. They've got a lamp. But he says, actually, the ten of them were divided in two distinct groups. Five wise and the five foolish. Five wise, it says, had lamps and had a bottle of oil each. Five foolish had lamps but no bottle of oil. That's the gist of it. And uh, in our walk in the Lord, what the Lord is reminding us here is you've got to be ready every day. The oil in the bottle is uh, pretty emblematic of the Holy Spirit experience and the the backup that you have through the Holy Spirit experience. What backs you up when you walk the Lord? Prayer is your best backup. Going to church is a great backup. And what he's saying is that they've got the, they've got the, the lamp, they can see the way, they know which was the right way to go, but they've got backup as well. They've got prayer in their life. They've got church in their life. They, they go to a prayer and fast. They help out without reaching. They get involved in whatever it may be. They've got backup. And uh, the Lord is saying here, that's what he is. I mean, if Kevin Quirk had written this story, you could say, oh, that's just your opinion. That's just what you reckon, in your humble opinion. Sort of I didn't write this story. Jesus did. The Son of God gives you a really simple illustration. And uh, what he's obviously reminding us is that it's so easy to let go of your backup. It's so easy to let it slide. The book of Hebrews talks about how uh, keep your works and we'll go for Hebrews just for a moment. Book of Hebrews, chapter 2. And I don't mean to sound alarmist when I say these things, but, but at the heart of what I'm trying to get across today is you've got to be ready every day. Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast and every transgression and disobedience received the just recompense and reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him. God also bearing them witness with signs and wonders and with divers miracles and gifts. In fact, that word is distributions. Distributions of the Holy Ghost according to his own will. And uh, Paul reminds the Hebrew church here, he says, you must not let this slip. You mustn't let it slide. Uh, the actual expression here to slip, back in verse 1, is, uh, is the Greek word meaning to leak out. It means to leak like from a bottle that's leaking. You know, I stood a bottle of milk in the fridge yesterday and I thought I'd close the lid properly and I lay it flat in the fridge and uh, opened the fridge a little while later and... Uh, uh, I think Leslie must have touched it. But anyway, I opened a little while later and lo and behold, the rotten thing is leaking everywhere. And okay, the bottle still looked kind of full and there was enough to make a cup of coffee, but the you know the tray was covered in milk and there was milk dripped down the front. I said, Les, you've got quite a clean-up job to do here shortly. Well, it was leaking everywhere. It was only one drop at a time. You know, but I hadn't been back there for a little while and it really was an absolute mess. And that's like I had to get out of the kitchen at that stage. But this is what Jesus is saying. You know, if stuff leaks out, it still kind of looks like it's there. 
still a little bit gone, but by golly, is it making a mess all over the kitchen, you know, fridge shelf or over the floor? In fact, it was down on the floor as well. I actually mopped the floor up and up anyway. It was everywhere. And I thought to myself, when stuff leaks, it's a real pain in the neck. Uh, it really makes a mess. And that's why Paul is saying here, you must not let this leak out. Uh, in verse 2, For if the word of God spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received the just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How are you going to uh, wiggle out of it if you are negligent with your salvation in the Lord? And Paul is reminding him, don't go there. Why? Because your salvation is a great thing. You were filled with the Holy Ghost. In verse 4 he talks about signs and wonders and miracles, distributions of the Holy Ghost. People have the Holy Ghost sent down to them and so on. He says, this is the gospel. As we read in verse 4 there, this is the gospel. Don't go neglecting it. Don't be sloppy with it. Over to uh, the book of Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4. Now just a couple more verses to finish up on today. So if you're unsaved, you need to get ready by getting saved. And if you are saved, you need to stay ready every day to walk in the Lord. Mark chapter 4. Because the Lord Jesus, of course, has given us lots of warnings so that we can be forearmed and prepared. Mark chapter 4, it's a great uh, story here of the uh, uh, parable of the soul and the seed. And verse, uh, I'm trying to keep it a bit short if I can. Uh, verse 4, it came to pass that as, as he sowed, some fell by the wayside and the fowls of the air came and devoured it up. Some fell on stony ground where it had not much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up it was scorched and because it had no root it withered away. Some fell among thorns and the thorns grew up and choked it and yielded no fruit. Another fell on good ground and did yield fruit and sprang up and increased and brought forth some thirty, some sixty and some a hundred. And he said to them, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. And I can imagine him finishing that statement and everyone sort of looking around going, what are you talking about? You know, four different types of farmers or a farmer going out to sow four different types of seed in the paddock and so on. Uh, and when they were alone, uh, that were about him with the twelve, they asked him of the parable. And he said to them, uh, unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but unto them that are without, all things are done in parables. It's not going to remain mysterious. A little further down in verse 14. Uh, the sower sows the word. And these are they by the wayside when the word is sown. Uh, but when they have heard, Satan comes immediately and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time. And afterwards, when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they repent. So he says that the first two categories of people, he says, are people who initially they hear it, and it just seems to evaporate straight away. We hear it, preach the gospel message to them, perhaps they even get baptised and filled with the Spirit on a Sunday, we go visit them on a Monday, and it's just gone. It's like they never got it. 
Now, they've still got the Holy Spirit, but, but they just don't get it. Nothing's sunk in. The devil's stolen away the message. The second one, he says, is people who go through persecution and tribulation. And uh, they can cope for a little while, but they're like seed that's in very shallow earth on rocky ground. There's not enough to support them. They're quite shallow in themselves. And they grow up, but as soon as the sun hits, they fry. And he says, these are people who go through persecution and uh, difficulties, but collapse soon after. Jesus tells us that. The next one, though, is the one I'm after today. Uh, verse uh, uh, 18. And these are they which are sown amongst the thorns, such as hear the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. Now, in, um, in agricultural terms, I mean, choking something or, or cutting off the supply for something tends to be a little bit of a slow process. It doesn't generally sort of happen instantaneously. And what Jesus is saying is, that's right, there are Christians, they get the Holy Spirit, and things come and slowly, slowly choke off the lifeblood of the Spirit. And what sort of things are they? Are they persecution from their Catholic grandmother? No, no, I'm not talking about that. That was back in category two. What these are are things that are generally kind of harmless in a sense. He says the cares of this world, stuff happens, things in your life, dramas you're facing at the moment, problems at work, problems at home, difficulties with the kids. Uh, he says they kind of crowd in and before you know it, well I won't go to that meeting because uh, I've got issues with the kids and I won't go to that meeting because I've got to this, I won't do this and I won't do that. Before you know it, you're allowing things to crowd in the cares of this life. Uh, the next thing he says is the deceitfulness of riches. Uh, the, 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 the deceptiveness, the trickery that, that money and wealth plays on people. People are so preoccupied, they become more preoccupied with making money. Uh, they're, they're preoccupied with their job and their career. Perhaps it's their education that's drawing in the wrong direction. Perhaps it's their, their business. I've got to get my business to a certain level. I think I'm going to break even next year. Next year we should make about a 9% gross profit and so on and so on. And uh, I won't worry too much about the Lord and church and following the Lord. Uh, that's something I've got as well. But the most important thing in my life is my business or my career. The last for riches. The last thing there is the lusts of other things entering in. <laughs> that covers a real variety of things, doesn't it? All sorts of stuff. People have become uh, tragic with that, become uh, drawn in by other things. That, you know, perhaps someone suggested they make a great singer in one of those competitions and there's nothing wrong with being a, on TV or being a singer or something or other. Perhaps it's a, a, a great football star or something or other. Uh, perhaps it's, uh, you know, uh, the lady at work just batters her eyes at you and you start to get drawn away. And he says here, the lust of other things entering in choke the word that becomes untrue. We have to be on guard. We have to be ready. We have to be prepared. We have to know. The Bible talks about the wiles of the devil, the trickery of the devil. And uh, this is all part of that same picture. In verse 19, uh, the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, the lusts of other things entering in, choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. In other words, there comes a point, the person hasn't fallen away, but they're just producing no fruit. Unfruitful. They're so preoccupied with all the stuff around about them that there's no contribution to God's work at all. It's gone. It's ancient history. 
Our job is to be ready. Our job is to be right at the front. Our job is to be doing the Lord's will uh, day by day by day as if he come, could come back to that and all the things. But the wonderful illustration at the end there, I love it, down in verse 20, and these are they which are sown on the good ground, such as hear the word and receive it and bring forth fruit, some thirtyfold, some sixty, some a hundred. So he says here, here's the identifying mark of someone that's uh, you know, on the ball. He says they're bringing forth fruit. That doesn't mean you're saving people, but it just means in your life, you're contributing, you're advancing, you're progressing, you're getting stronger in the Lord as time goes by. You know, uh, praying regularly, going to church regularly and so on. You're bringing forth fruit. Thirty, sixty and a hundred. There are some people who get filled with the Spirit, they just seem to instantly take off. And it's as if they're almost, from day one, producing a hundredfold. And there's others that just plod along, but they're producing fruit. You know, I think, I think of the thirtyfold there, I think I'm about a, an eight and a half fold. You know what I mean? Yeah. The point is, we're producing fruit, which is what he's saying here. Back over again, I must finish in Matthew, chapter 25 again, sorry. Did I say to keep the finger there? No. Matthew 25. So our point today is the importance of getting ready. If you're not saved, you've got to get ready. Staying ready if you are saved. Matthew chapter 25. Back to the ten virgins again, verse 7. Actually, verse 5. While the bridegroom tarried, they all slumbered and slept. I often read that verse and I think there's a, there's a, a little um, backhanded compliment if I ever read one. Uh, compared to Jesus Christ and his level of activity, all of us, wise, un- unwise, whatever, we're all a bit slow on the uptake. And I'd agree with that. You know, we all, in a sense, we're all uh, a bit slow in that way. They all slumbered and slept, but God loves us, thank God. Verse 6. And at midnight there was a cry made. In other words, a time when you weren't expecting it. Everybody was in bed. Everybody was asleep, as it were. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. Um, so they, they all get up and they've all got their lamps going. And they've got their lamps, you know, adjusted to the right level of, you know, um, uh, lightedness, or whatever the expression is, illumination. Uh, in verse, uh, verse 8, uh, verse 7, verse 8, And the foolish said unto the wise, Give us of your oil. For our lamps are going out. Uh, but the wise answered, saying, Not so, lest there not be enough for us and for you, but go to them rather to sell and buy for yourselves. And we pointed out the importance of having backup in your walk of the Lord. Prayer, getting to meetings, getting to, reading the scriptures and whatever it may be. Backup. What makes you strong in the Lord. In verse 10, And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came. And they that were ready went in with him to marriage and the door was shut. Those that were ready, those that were made ready, those that were prepared, those who were active, those that were looking forward to it, those that had their, 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 the picture clear in their mind. We must be ready for the Lord's return. And I know we are. And all the people. Amen. Praise the Lord.